So, full disclosure, some of you might be thinking to yourself, I feel like I've seen that video before. And that would be because if you were here last year, you did see it. Um, like many things, COVID um, took a whole bunch of stuff off the calendar. And one of the things that took off the calendar for us this year were our trips. Um, so instead of coming up with something that didn't happen this year, we thought it'd be a better idea just to um, show the, the video from last year to give you a little bit of a better sense of what we're about, what we're trying to accomplish and what we have accomplished um, as a, a church. And um, coincidentally, those are the three trips that we're planning on taking um, in 2021, Lord willing, um, and you'll hear more about that here in a little bit. But th this is the day where um, I, I just want to get up here and shine a big old spotlight on one of our main ministry environments, which is missions, uh, starting here in Topeka and, and going all around the world. And from my perspective, and I know I have a different perspective than, than, than you guys, but it is amazing to me to think about how the ministry here that happens in Topeka affects people all around the world. It's amazing to me to think about the prayers that you pray for your family, the prayers that you pray for your neighbors, the prayers that you pray for the people we're trying to minister to here in Topeka actually affects people that you'll probably never meet this side of heaven. It's amazing to me to think <laughs> that the money you choose to give here in Topeka has an impact on people, on ministries, on organizations all around the world. And here's something even more amazing to me. Did you know Jesus got angry? You say, what in the world does that have to do with missions, Tim? Right? Hang with me. Did you know Jesus got angry? Have you ever thought of Jesus being angry? He, 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 he got angry, but, but he didn't get angry about the stuff that we get angry about. Because we get angry over dumb stuff. Like, I get angry over dumb stuff. And in the, the, the arena that I've learned the most in this, um, this, this emotion is parenting. I get angry with my kids. And, and whenever I settle down, it's usually, I don't know, a couple hours afterwards that I realize I'm not angry with them because you know, they're not doing what I want them to do, even though doing what I want them to do, I want them to do because it's good for them. I'm angry because I'm not getting my way. Right? Even though doing what I want them to do is good for them, that's not what I'm angry about. I'm angry because I'm not getting my own way. And I won't ask anybody to raise their hand because I'm the only one who deals with that, right? It's, it's, I have no empirical data whatsoever, um, but I think about 99% of our anger comes down to the fact that we're just not getting our way. Here's how I wrote it down. When someone gets in the way of us having our way, they better get out of the way. Right? So, so Jesus got angry, but he never got angry because he couldn't get his way. Jesus got angry. Well, let's find that out together. All right? If you have a Bible or a mobile device, even if you're watching this online, I want you to find Mark. Mark chapter 3. There's four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark is the second one. We believe that Mark um, actually got most of his content and most of his material from the Apostle Peter. Um, so this is kind of Peter's perspective or Peter's story um, through Mark. Uh, but in Mark chapter 3, this is the story that we read. 
says this, another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now we would call this hand atrophy. We don't know this, but maybe he had an accident when he was a kid and the bones didn't get set right. And throughout the years, the the muscles atrophied and it came to the point where he couldn't use his hand. It was visible. It was embarrassing. And he wasn't able to provide for his family like he'd want to. In an agrarian society, you need both hands. So it's a little bit of a handicap. And apparently, um, this guy in the crowd somehow, someway makes his hand visible to Jesus in, in kind of this silent plea for help. We, we don't know. Maybe he rolled up his sleeve. Maybe he exposed his hand. He makes eye contact with Jesus and it, just as a way of saying, hey, can you help me with this? But, verse 2, some of them, we're going to come back to the them in a minute. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. We're going to come back to this, but I just want to point it out right here. Here's one of the places in the Gospels. You see a couple places. But here's one of the places in the Gospels where we're introduced to a version of religion that attempts to prioritize God above what God actually prioritizes. It's a version of religion that values God more than what God values. What's going on here? More on that in a minute. Story continues. Verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone, which is the last thing he probably wanted to do, right? Like he's got this, this, this embarrassing part of his life. He's like, Jesus, can we meet after church in the parking lot or in the green room or maybe a you know, corner in the lobby? You want me to stand up right now? And Jesus says, yeah, I want you to stand up right where you're at. And while he's standing there in front of everybody, Then Jesus asked them, them who were devoted more to God than what God was devoted to, them who were trying to love God without loving the people that God loved. And and Jesus is kind of easy on them. He asked them a multiple choice question about the Sabbath. I love multiple choice questions from Jesus. They had a very tightly wound definition of the Sabbath because good Jews didn't work on the Sabbath, but the religious leaders had added more layers to that command over the years. They basically decided the things that were unlawful on the Sabbath to do was all the stuff everybody else did except for them, which is how religion works. It's how religion works. I mean, come on, think about it. Think about how you get angry at other people's sin, and then you look in the mirror and you go, well, I can't help it. I I had a bad day. She's a bad person. I had a bad morning. He needs counseling. That's how religion works. That's what's going on here. So here's Jesus' multiple choice question for the people who thought like that. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? And obviously, you know, the answer to that question is to do good and to save life. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't kill anybody but especially you shouldn't do that on the Sabbath. So, so they're waiting to see if Jesus is going to work on the Sabbath by healing this guy. But, but Jesus kind of grins. He says, okay, is it, good to, is, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? I think we all agree it's not okay to do evil any day of the week, much less the Sabbath. But can, can I do good on the Sabbath? Can I save a life on the Sabbath? And, and here's Jesus' question behind 
the question, is the law of God for the benefit of God? You ever asked that question before? Is the law of God for the benefit of God or is the law of God for the benefit of the people God loves? Is, is it, you know, we kept the Sabbath, so God's surely going to be happy with us and he'll be better off? Is it about that or is it about something else? See, on another occasion, Jesus actually answered that question. He, he, he said God didn't create the Sabbath for himself. He didn't create people for the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath for people. He actually answered that question. So that's what Jesus is getting at here. Is, is the law of God for the benefit of God? Or is the law of God for the benefit of the people God loves? And, and here's the interesting part. Everybody, everybody, even if this is your first time to ever darken the door of a church, if you've never heard this story before, if you've never even opened your Bible before, you know the answer to this question. You know the answer to the question. These were religious leaders. They, they knew the scriptures. They knew the answer to the question, but they didn't want to give in to Jesus. They didn't want to go where Jesus was leading. They didn't want to let Jesus win. So what do they do? They remain silent. They remain silent. See, they were the guys in charge of the religious well-being of Israel. They were the ones in charge of the temple. They were the holiest people in the entire community. Their full-time job was to be good. What do you do for a living? I be good all the time. That's what they did. They knew the answer to the question. But they can't let Jesus be right. So their, their answer was, I'm going to be silent. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I just need to say something to you specifically, okay? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're trying to figure out what you believe, if you're not so sure you believe anything of this, this doesn't really apply to you. But for those of us who are following Jesus, and this could be a message all on its own, so this is kind of more of a sidebar. When our interpretation of Scripture conflicts with the intent of the author of Scripture, we have the wrong interpretation, we have the wrong interpretation. And, and here's a group of religious people doing their best to follow God, doing their best to be good, and they bump up against the interpretation, the application, the intent of why God gave the Sabbath in the first place. In fact, they're not just bumping up against the intent of the Scriptures. They're bumping up against the very author of their faith. And... And how does Jesus react to that? How does Jesus respond? What does Jesus think when someone misinterprets the law God gave to hurt the people God made? Very next verse. He looked around them in anger. Jesus got angry. That word in other places in the New Testament is the same word for wrath. White, hot anger. You say, what, is, what, 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 what makes Jesus angry? Uh, sin. That's a good Sunday school answer, but that's too general. What makes Jesus angry? And what I'm guessing it makes God angry too, because if Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. They knew the answer and refused to answer it. They knew the changes they needed to make and refused. 
They knew that they should change their priorities to line up with what Jesus said. Nope, not going to do it. It was their stubborn hearts. They refused to acknowledge that Jesus was right. You say, Tim, what in the world does that have to do with missions? We're getting there. Hang with me. Jesus, right after he gets mad, says to the man with the shriveled hand, imagine this moment. Imagine if you were there. (laughs) Right after he gets mad, Jesus says, stretch out your hand. First of all, Jesus, this was supposed to be between you and me. Like, I I was trying to keep this on the down low, then you made me stand up, and and you and I are the only ones standing here. Then you made me stand there all awkward while you undressed the Pharisees about the Sabbath. That was a little awkward. And now, you want me to expose the most embarrassing thing in my life. Like, the, the thing I have to constantly live with, the thing I don't want anybody else to know about but me, and And now everybody knows because you want me to do this little show and tell thing? Jesus, stretch out your hand. And apparently the guy had either seen Jesus at work or heard what Jesus could do because he knew he could go to him for help. And so he did. He stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. (laughs) At which point you think that everybody there would be amazed at what just happened. Everybody, I mean, give a little golf clap at least. A smile, a standing ovation, I don't know, something. But Mark tells us the very next thing the them did. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Talk about missing the point. And, and, okay, Um, If you're watching this online and you started shopping on Amazon, I need you to come back to me for a second. This is really important. If if I've lost you in the room, I need you to come back. Don't miss this part, okay? Because when you hear a story like this, when you read a story like this, isn't Jesus the hero in the story? Isn't it, yay, Jesus, boo, Pharisees? Like, even if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, you're on Jesus' side here. Like, there's something attractive there's, there's something compelling about Jesus. And before you go too far with that thought, you just need to know, Jesus' version of religion was terribly, terribly uncomfortable. And not just for first century people, but for all century people. Because Jesus' version of religion takes away our excuses. And here's what I mean by that. Even if I've never met you before, never talked to you before, I don't have any idea what you believe about God or, or faith, what your story is whatsoever, I know there's something in you because it's in me too. There's something in us that wants to be able to treat people any way we want and then have this mystical, magical relationship with God where we get forgiveness and grace and we get to go to heaven when we die. Here, I'll put it up on the screen so it's official. We want a faith that makes us accountable for how we treat God, not others. That is not Christianity. That's paganism. That's, 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 that's a pen number, a formula, an equation. Hey, I just got to punch in the right numbers, pray the right prayers, read the right scriptures, go to church enough times, and me and God are cool. No, that, you do not find that coming from the lips of Jesus ever. It's paganism. In paganism, the pagans believe that you had the gods, plural, right? And they didn't care for humans, 
And so they had to do everything they could to get the gods' attention so their crops would grow and their babies would be born fine and they'd beat all their enemies in, in the battle and they would choose the right leader, the right emperor, the right king. And so ancient people would do everything they could to, to gain the favor or, or bribe the gods because the assumption was the gods don't care about you. And if the gods don't care about you, you don't have to care about anybody else. There was no religious morality. No one felt guilty towards the gods for how they mistreated or killed or pillaged other people around them. And the unfortunate thing is that kind of thinking has crept into religious thought ever since. It's paganism. So if you think you can live your life in such a way that you mistreat or ignore people and be right with God, you are fooling yourself. Jesus taught the very opposite. It's actually what made him angry when the people used the law of God to discount people made in the image of God. Jesus was quick to remind them that they were on the wrong side of God. See, it's like, it's like any parent or grandparent would tell you. It's, it's what I would tell you. Hey, you, you can tell me how great I am. Tim, so good. Such a great message. Sit on the front row, take notes, and then you go and mistreat my kids? None of that matters. If I honor you, if I glorify you, if I uplift you, if I bless you, and then turn around and mistreat people that you love, you don't really want to have anything to do with me. It's the same way. Jesus taught that all throughout the Gospels. He taught it through his disciples who eventually ended up writing the rest of the New Testament. He says to you, he says to me, he says to people all throughout the generations, here's what I want you to do. It's really simple. I want you to follow me. I want you to do what I did. I want you to do for others what I did for you. I want you to do for others what they can never repay you for. I want you to do for others who can't and won't do for you. That's the kind of religion I'm about. And you know the rest of the story. The Pharisees were successful, right? Eventually had Jesus arrested, tried, and crucified. But they had no idea, and how could they? They had no idea by crucifying Jesus that it would ultimately be the example of the thing that they hated most about him, his annoying habit of giving his life away. And so what in the world does that have to do with missions? Well, well the reason we're shining a big old spotlight on this this weekend, the reason it's one of our five main ministry environments, the reason it's a big part of what we do as a church is because this is how we follow Jesus. We, it, it's how we do corporately what God has, what Jesus has asked all of us to do individually and what Jesus did habitually. He did it over and over and over again. This is our annual reminder to get our eyes off of what just happens within the four walls of this place and that this is just the hub. The ministry actually takes place outside of these walls. The ministry takes place in Topeka and throughout the United States and all around the world. This is how we express our love for God, by serving the people that God loves all around the world. So today's a reminder, but it's also a reveal. Today's a reminder of what we want to be about as a church, but I also need to reveal a couple things that our leadership team has been talking about 
behind the scenes. So if you've been a part of Grace Point for long, you know that the way we participate with God's global mission is by partnering. We partner with people, we partner with organizations, we partner with families. We don't have a food bank. We don't, have, we don't do clothing drives. We don't have a missionary on staff. We don't do human trafficking ministry or a homeless shelter. There's nothing wrong with those. We've just decided that we're going to find the people who are doing that really, really well, and we're going to partner with them. We're going to partner. We're going to cooperate with them instead of being a competitor of them. Okay? And we do that here in Topeka. We do that around the United States. We do that around the world. When you came in today, you had one of these on your seat or around your seat. We put these together so you have an idea of what kind of ministry happens all around the world that we're connected to. These are our partners. They're local, they're regional, and they're global. We have local initiatives that are, that are helping with um, at-risk children, housing and homelessness, food distribution, even marriage ministry. Those are some of our local and regional initiatives. On top of that, we have eight global partners, people all around the world, some of whom you've met before whenever they were here, or maybe you've gone on a short-term trip to where they live and where they serve. Our global initiatives are helping with orphan care, human trafficking, literature distribution, medical care. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And on top of that, like I don't ever want us to lose sight of this. On top of all of those, you know, like practical meet need, needs that need to be met, they're sharing Jesus with people. Like, I don't ever want us to lose the sight of the fact that we don't just want to feed and clothe and help people in difficult situations because if we don't disciple them, if we don't give them Jesus, we don't meet their greatest need. And so it's not just these practical needs. We're actually seeing, you're actually seeing through the part, people we partner with, people come to know Jesus. And our call to action, our call to action when it comes to missions at Grace Point, there are three of them. We talk about them every year. Pray, give, go. Pray, give, go. We put these booklets together because this is how you know who you're praying for. This is how you know how to pray for. Pick one. Maybe as a small group, pick one of these initiatives and just every single week, every single time you're together with your small group, you just pray for that one initiative. We're going to talk about the, the give piece here in a second and the go piece is a little more complicated than in years past, but we're still trying to do that. Um, you're going to hear a little bit more about that here at the end of the service. So let's talk about the, the give piece, okay? Um, for the past 20 years or so, the way that we've funded these initiatives, the way that we've given to these initiatives is by taking 10% of anything that comes in to the ministry of this church and we send it right back out the door to these initiatives, okay? Um, didn't mean, that doesn't, doesn't matter if people meant to give 10% or not. We just take 10% and we automatically send it out that way. Um, I wasn't around when the leadership of the church made that decision, um, but I have been blessed to see a church that doesn't just talk about global missions, but they actually put their money where their mouth is when it comes to global missions. Um, but that process has also had some unintended results. Um, for, the, for the majority of people at Grace Point, they're thrilled that we give 10%. They love that we give 10%. They support that decision to give 10%. But there's very little skin in the game when it comes to their personal involvement, when it comes to, to individual heart connection, to God's global mission when a church gives. Like, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. 
right? And so for the past two and a half years, this has been a long, drawn-out process. For the past two and a half years, our board has wrestled with that. What do we do about that? We prayed about it. We talked about it. We've, t- we've talked it over and over. We've had some conversations with our missions team, which is the group of individuals who are overseeing these initiatives. And we've really tried to answer the question, what's the best way for us as a church right now in, in 2020 to be involved and to engage more people in God's global mission? And over those, those two and a half years, we realize giving isn't the only way to do that, but it's a big way of how we do that. And the conclusion we've come to was to move away from giving an automatic 10% to missions every year. And we're going to ask you, we're going to ask your family to think about what you want to personally give to missions moving forward. If you've been around church for very long, Maybe you've heard faith promise. You've heard, you've heard that, that phrase before. That's a little bit of what we're talking about. Um, we, we want people who call Grace Point their church to think, to pray, to, to, to ask God how they can individually be involved in his global mission. Now, we're not saying it's all up to you and you need to contact these missionaries and you need to figure it out. That's not what we're saying. There still needs to be some organization here. And so the way that we're gonna be doing that is by bringing back um, a Grace Point tradition that we haven't had for about three years. We, we hit the pause button on this about three years ago to move through our Making Room campaign, um, but coming soon to a Grace Point Christmas series near you is Advent Conspiracy. We're bringing Advent Conspiracy back. Now, some of you know what Advent Conspiracy is. Some of you don't know what Advent Conspiracy is. Um, for those of you who don't know what it is, I'll just say this. Don't plan anything on Sunday morning in between November 29th and December 20th, okay? You do not want to miss Advent Conspiracy. If there was ever a four-week stretch to not miss church, that's the four-week stretch, okay? It's, it's, and I know we got COVID. I know they're saying flu on top of COVID, blah, 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 blah. I get that. If you need to watch online, watch online. But don't miss Don't miss that four weeks because it's not only going to change how you think about how you celebrate Christmas, it can change the world. And I know that sounds like a preacher exaggeration. It's not. It's not. It still has the potential to change people's world. We'll come back to that in a couple months. All I want you to hear today is we're moving away. We're shifting away from giving a flat 10% off the top to missions. And the goal is no longer to give 10%. The goal is now 100% participation. We want everybody that calls Grace Point their home to be involved in this. We want, we want you to have skin in the game. We want you to be personally invested in what God is doing all throughout the world. Okay, why? Well, because Jesus couldn't have been clearer. God measures our commitment to him by our compassion and generosity towards others. God doesn't measure your commitment to him by your commitment to him. It's too easy. God measures our commitment to him by our generosity, our compassion, our behavior toward the people around you, toward the people around the world that Jesus misses the most. And that's why we're making this shift. That's why we do what we do corporately when it comes to mission, because we think the church should be famous for generosity. We think the church should be famous 
for compassion, even with people who don't think, act, or believe anything like us. Because, see, that's what Jesus did for us. And this is just our response to people around us of the grace and the compassion and the generosity our Heavenly Father has given, has bestowed on us. So grace point. Let's pray. Absolutely. Let's give and let's go. Let's show our community, our our local community. Let's show our partners in and around Topeka and all around the world. Let's show our world that our faith isn't just about sermons and songs. Let's show them that we value what our God values, that we prioritize what our God prioritizes, and we love the people that our God loves. We're going to pray, we're going to give, and we're going to go. All right? Nikki's got a couple things for you here in a second, but before she comes up, I just want to pray for us as we get ready to go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, first and foremost, for your word, how it it moves us to action, how it changes us, as, as we've already sung today, how it saves us. And God, my prayer is, is, is simply that you would help us as individuals, as families, as couples, as a corporate body to continue to be a place that's on mission with you, that's listening to where you're calling us to go, that's going to be obedient to the places and to the people and to the initiatives and to the the ministries that you ask us to give to. God, would you continue to, to provide us with the leaders that make difficult decisions, but decisions that are in line with where you're leading us? And God, would you continue to help us to be sensitive to your spirit, not just in these big kind of corporate gatherings, would you help us to be sensitive to your spirit that's whispering for us to love our neighbor, to give to the coworker who sits in the next cubicle, to pray for the people that need support, to pray for the people who need to, to, to know that there are people around the world praying for them? Would you, would you mobilize your church? to be more about what you're about than what we're about. And in the end, it is not about us. It's, it's not about the, the good feelings that we get from praying and giving and going, although that's part of it. We ultimately want this to be about you and your kingdom, expanding all throughout this world, starting right here in our hearts, starting right here in my heart, and extending out from there. God, thanks for... A, a group of people who are so, so generous, would you continue to help us to be the kind of people that hold everything you've blessed us with with open hands? Would you give us the courage to know what to do with what we've just heard and the wisdom to walk out this door and do it? We pray it all in Jesus' name.